This episode is brought to you by Element Kombucha. Kombucha is an incredibly delicious drink with a ton of amazing health benefits, primarily gut health. It's got those good bacterias. Yes, some bacterias are good. I've actually got a bottle of Element Kombucha in my hand. This one is called Summer Vibes. So let's take a sip. Oh, wow. Oh yeah, that's the first time trying this particular flavor and it is delicious. My other favorites are the Mountain Oolong as well as the Jasmine Hibiscus. Elements brewing process maintains the traditional methods and ingredients that people have been brewing kombucha with for thousands of years. Each flavor is brewed with strict parameters to bring out the benefits of the plants as well as the best flavors possible. And let me tell you, you can feel the difference. I highly recommend you give Element Kombucha a try. It's delicious, it's healthy, and it's just nice to have in your fridge for when you're thirsty. So go to elementkombucha.com and use promo code ZIAN11 to save 11%. That's ZIAN11 to save 11%. X-I-A-N-11 at elementkombucha.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
Luke Story, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Never better. I'm about to pop a hydro shot, and then I'll really be doing great. Let's go. I got um, Alani New. All right. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Cha. But yeah, man, it was great to meet you at Modern Nirvana. Um, We had both just tried SoundSelf's new iteration. Um, I actually helped SoundSelf launch their video game on the Steam store with a marketing through social media and just kind of general creative consulting. Um, So it was cool to see the evolution of what they're up to. And it looks like they're going to be using these glasses that have lights on the inside, not to unlike the Ajna light uh, to uh, be useful in ketamine assisted psychotherapy, if I'm not mistaken. They're they're trying to kind of enter the the medicine space um, by using your your voice to um, more or less direct the lights and therefore the inner journey. How was your experience with that product? Oh, that's that's funny taking me back to that. I remember two things about that. One, that you were on this bed having your what I presume to be transcendent experience to some degree. <laughs> and I was like live streaming you without your permission, probably. And then you came out, I was like, hey, you were just on the interweb. Uh, so I remember that. But yeah, that that thing is amazing, you know. And it's funny you mentioned that Ajina light or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have this thing called the Lucia light at home. Yeah, and I actually similar. did did one this morning, and I love that thing. So today I I listened to a uh, a brain a brain tap tech. Brain tap comes with its own little goggles and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but the light on the Lucia is infinitely stronger. So I did one of those this morning, uh, and I think combining those two would be incredible. But the other thing I remember about that is in the sound self uh, system, you know your uh, you know, vocalizing in whatever way you see fit. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of, there's a feedback loop where you're listening to your own voice. And, um, and when I started, when I, when I laid on the bed, there was no one in the room. So I was doing like this, uh, Kundalini yoga mantra and I mm-hmm. was really playing with the volume. I mean, I was going off and was just totally enraptured in the experience. And I found it to be really beautiful. I mean, very psychoactive, I guess you could say. Uh, And then it ended and they took the headphones off and the room was like full of people. You know, Dave Asprey was in there and the other speakers and stuff. And I was, I remember being mortified because I was like, oh my God, that must've been (laughs) so annoying to everyone in the room. Cause I'm just like going off. Um, Anyway, you know, there's always a teaching, right? Then the, the teaching in that is like, why do you care what other people think? Totally. I mean, partially, I just didn't, I just, out of common courtesy, wouldn't want to, sure. like, you know, be disturbing. But the embarrassment side of it was kind of my ego going, oh, my God, you just look so stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's cool technology. I love sound technology. I love light technology. Uh, you know, this right. is the primordial um, substrate of the universe is sound, light, vibration, uh, magnetism, you know, all of this is kind of what makes everything take form. So I think technologies like that, that are uh, starting to explore and harness these energies is just incredible. There's so, I can't even keep track of it now. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like, I have this thing coming, uh, when we move in our house soon, hopefully, uh, called the tune bed. Um, some people that I know from New York and it's, it's just this beautifully designed, sound bed. Um, so I'll be having that. I have another one in our garage now called the vibe bed, which is a, a oh, similar wow. kind of technology. So yeah, I'm all about it. And yeah, then you add light cool. to it. 
Oh yeah. And I like the, the ketamine idea too. I've done quite a few, uh, like, you know, media museum dose, uh, ketamine journeys under the Lucia sure. light. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty intense. <laughs> it's powerful. It's definitely like a force to be reckoned with. Amazing. So, yeah, it's I want one stuff. of those so bad, but aren't they pretty expensive? They're a couple grand. The Lucia lights are expensive. Yeah. The, the single user, like the, it's called the home portal, I think is like eight or nine thousand dollars and then right. they have one that fits five or six heads under it and that yeah. one i think is like twenty three, twenty five thousand. totally well That's it's worth it i've been under them and they're amazing it's it's literally a dmt journey um it's, it's pretty beautiful yeah i mean the thing about that type of technology that i think is fascinating is that you don't have to take kind of time away from your life um as you would in a proper plant medicine ceremony or um, a therapist-led psychedelic session or something like that. I mean, you know, you have the preparatory time, you have the actual experience, you have hopefully the integration time afterward, and Mm -hmm. it's pretty all-encompassing, and it it definitely requires you to exit your normal day-to-day affairs in order to really uh, extract the full richness and benefits out of that experience. But if you're completely physically sober and you get under a light or some sound or a vibration bed or whatever it is, I mean, you can go to a really, um, transcendent quantum space and, Mm -hmm. and achieve the same kind of realizations and healings and then turn it off and just wake up and go about your business. You know, which is what I did this morning. I did my Lucia light thing and, I was tripping in there mm-hmm. and then turned it off, kind of shook myself and, you know, yeah. ran out of the house and started podcasting. Right. I love it. Yeah, it's crazy how um, probably not too many people know about these lights that can emulate the DMT state that exist. And yes, they're expensive and maybe they'll get cheaper and other brands will offer, you know, uh, more entry level things. But uh, certainly for people that are unwilling to kind of go the real journey with uh with the molecule you can get a taste with this and even my girlfriend who you know is isn't such a a journeyer you know she's certainly done a couple but um not nearly as much as me um she enjoyed the light so i thought that was really cool that it's really like a way to bring people into the space without them like committing to taking something and maybe freaking out you know most people are fine but um there's always that that risky run a little bit i guess but um, yeah well you know that that's an interesting point actually because my wife reminds me uh often that you are the medicine right that Mm -hmm. what we're seeking or, or many of us are seeking in those experiences is um just a more full expression and depth and richness of who we are in terms of our individuated consciousness, right? So it's mm-hmm. like if you take DMT, ayahuasca, mushrooms, LSD, whatever it is, it it seems as though that thing is doing it to you and for you, but it's really your own beingness yeah. that's, I don't know if causation is the cause is the right word, but it's it's just an expression of what's within you anyway. It's not like consciousness yeah. is being created by DMT. Right. It's just giving you within yourself the ability to access 
other dimensions of reality and other levels of consciousness. So it's not even like that thing outside of you is doing it. So, and this is apparent when you get under something like the Lucia light and you have a journey, Mm -hmm. it's your own brain doing it, right? Even if you put a substance into you, it's not really the substance. It's more the signaling that that substance carries with it. And I think this is evident when you look at the phenomenon of having a bad trip, right? It's like you could have two different people take the exact same substance, um, being different people at different states of uh, awareness and consciousness in a different set and setting, and one could have the most traumatic, horrifying experience of their life, and the other one could um, experience divinity in the most profound way imaginable. Mm-hmm. But it's it's within that individual uh, person's expression and capacity right. for... Um, awareness, yeah, but it's, it's all a, it's all within it's all consciousness, you know. Really, right? Yeah, I like to think of them in a very similar way as what you're saying, but as a psyche uh, amplifier. If you're got a bunch of deep dark stuff going on in your psyche, it's going to amplify that. But if you don't, it's going to amplify the good, you know. But it's not a bad thing if you have deep dark stuff and and you get to see it because that starts the journey of looking at the shadow, integrating the shadow, working through it and coming out the other side, which is extremely possible and happens every day with these psychedelic assisted psychotherapy sessions going on across the nation. Um, They're really great at letting people uh, finally address stuff that they would otherwise never address. Like it gives you almost like this this uh, preview of what death is and gives you a chance to live your life instead of be afraid of change or be afraid of addressing the trauma or be afraid of uh, not doing the thing that you know your soul is being called to do because you're afraid to fail. You know, like once you realize like the afterlife is here, it's now, like every day is a new life in a sense. And that's the type of realization that some of these medicines can offer. You aren't afraid to do these things to address your traumas, to, to, to try your business, to, to do whatever it is that you have been putting uh, down and, and, and burying in to the bottom of your psyche. And, and then things aren't going your way and you wonder why. Well, once you address these things, things start to go your way. And you can honestly have such a dramatically different life than you ever would have conceived of before these realizations. What does that bring up for you? Oh, a lot, man. In in the first point that you brought forward, that that they're amplifying and accentuating essentially your level of consciousness at that time. And I know that to be true because earlier in life, when I was addicted to all sorts of drugs, I would use psychedelics just like I used cocaine or heroin or anything else. It was just another tool, right? Another, another, uh, you know, another poison in the in the medicine box, you know. And um, I had some positive experiences, but because there were memories and traumas and just thoughts and feelings that were really scary and uncomfortable those psychedelic experiences would often bring with it just those things that I was trying to suppress. So it was, it was actually a really, um, (laughs) it's a really, (laughs) what's the word unintelligent way to try and suppress feelings and, 
and trauma, right? Because I would, you know, get drunk and then take a bunch of mushrooms and then have a fucking meltdown, essentially a bad trip because I, it would start bringing up all these thoughts and feelings that I didn't want to face, you know, and, um, that didn't stop me from doing it again, but there were some pretty harrowing experiences of that, um, versus maybe, uh, two and a half, almost three years ago when I had long since been free of using drugs and alcohol, um, and being addicted to anything, Mm -hmm. uh, and had done so much excavation, uh, within myself and so much healing work and just years of meditation and all the things that when I reapproached psychedelics uh, from a completely different state of consciousness, I mean, especially the first two times I did, which was with ayahuasca, I mean, like what was revealed and what was amplified was just bliss and joy and just right. nothing but the brightest light, just yeah. incredibly transformative mystical experiences mm-hmm. of divinity right. um, I, because I love the, that I love that about the, the oh sorry go ahead oh uh, well that's you know because that's what I walked in the room with right and then you know as I progressed in some of my um, explorations I, I did find a lot of trauma that I thought had been rooted out and dealt with and healed but there were there were levels of it right so maybe in a cognitive talk therapy, I had addressed things and connected some dots and examined some patterns and maybe cried or screamed and punched pillows and did all the things you can do within the confines of traditional therapy. But in some of my medicine experiences, uh, what was amplified were things that were totally out of my awareness that I had no idea were even still motivating me um, or that that hadn't actually been healed um, all the way. And right. so, right. you know, well, I'm always um, hesitant to just give a blanket recommendation on these experiences for people because I really think they could be very dangerous for some people at different I times agree. in their life. And there are just so many parameters right. uh, with which one would want to operate. Um, so that said, you know, with a brief disclaimer there, I, I don't recommend people just go out willy-nilly and start taking psychedelics. I mean, it could be really, really bad. And, and I've mm-hmm. been witness to this not only within myself, but other people. But uh, there's no denying that some of those experiences for me have just liberated me from issues that I could not break free from. I just couldn't. And if anyone's given it a good college try, it's your old pal Luke here. Man. I mean, like <laughs> I've been to the ends of the earth to really just heal and become whole and get rid of anything in my life or in my past that's not serving me. And there were just some things that were just buried too deep. I, I just couldn't get to. And it's mm-hmm. been um, just a profound gift in my life. And even now at this point, uh, I was thinking about this earlier today. I, I got an invite to a, a ceremony and the email came in and I was like, oh, it's an invite. And normally I would kind of really feel into it and and mm-hmm. take it under careful consideration. But I just saw the email and I was like, nope, not right now. It wasn't, right. it didn't right. even require any thought process. It was just like, huh, do I feel it? Nope. And it's not my time. Right. And then I thought, oh God, like that would be so gnarly to ignore that, that inner knowing or that inner voice, um, or to not have a relationship with oneself where you can really gauge when it's appropriate and with whom and all of those things that I think need to be in place for it to be productive and safe. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm very grateful that I feel pretty well grounded in that. And I have a very healthy respect, almost 
wouldn't say a fear, but like a very healthy respect for psychedelics. And um, it's not something right. I take lightly at all. I mean, when I think about doing it right now, it's like, ooh, you know, it gives me the totally. willies kind of. It's like, ooh, shit. Right. I mean, yeah, it's you can have some pretty intense experiences. And, um, you know, yeah, I've yeah. enjoyed all of mine and they've all been amazingly fruitful and productive, but still it's, it's not the kind of thing that I want to go do every weekend. You know, it's, yep. it's serious, serious work. And it can be also brilliantly fun and, mm-hmm. um, exalting, you know, I mean, I've had just ceremonies where I just laughed for hours, you know, like I've never laughed in my life about mm-hmm. nothing, just about the, the ludicrous nature of human folly, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. so it's not always like heavy, deep trudging work, but you also don't know when you walk in there, what's going to arise. It could just be right. bliss and the presence of God and all is well. And it could be like looking again or more deeply at some childhood trauma or, um, mm-hmm. or mistakes that you've made in ways in which you've harmed other people that you, you didn't even realize, um, t- the capacity to which you did so. And, you know, mm-hmm. all of the kind of self introspection and honesty that can come up can be very confronting. And, uh, Right. You know, not something to be taken lightly, put it that way. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And I think that speaks to <clears throat> how the view on psychedelics are changing. And I'm grateful to say that because for a long time, they were kind of all grouped into the class of these are drugs. And but but with everything you just said, you know, it, it really speaks to that. This is a different class of of quote unquote drug. Like this is not one that you start doing and want to do every day from that point forward. These are spiritual tools. And when you're called to them, you feel the call. And just as many times as you're called to them, you're not called to them because you're still integrating a last experience or you're just not, you just don't have three or five days to like kind of cut the cords loose right now from everything you're doing. And these types (laughs) of things that are very, you know, um, it has that respect level attached that you're speaking to. And I like to be a voice in in sharing that while I tout the benefits of psychedelics all day, every day, um, it's, it's funny how it could also be looked at like, Oh, you're just a druggie or whatever. But when we're talking about this type of stuff where we're saying, you know, look, we're saying no to experiences because we're just not in a place for it. Like that clearly is an example of these being a different type of quote unquote drug and um, that we think of them in different ways and they don't call to us in the way that typical quote unquote drugs do like the, the harder, more addictive ones and these types of things. And I just really like to acknowledge these as spiritual tools and not just let's get high, let's have fun, let's party, you know what I mean? Because even things that people think of as like a party drug, like sometimes MDMA is kind of, you know, uh, used as a party drug. At the same time, when you really know what MDMA is capable of, you start to want to be in really safe environments when you're this vulnerable and this open and this much memory is is pouring forward. Um, and it, really, that's the place and the way to use it so that you actually reap benefit for days and weeks to come, months to come, a lifetime to come potentially, than just have a night out, you know what I mean, and see pretty lights, you know? Like, we all know that MDMA is great at making the lights good and the music good, whatever, <laughs> but, like, imagine actually addressing and resolving stuff that's been bothering you for years and finally 
addressing it and and moving past it. That is the night of a lifetime, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, as someone who definitely explored drugs as a means to escape uh, and evade reality <laughs> as often and as deeply as possible, I, I would agree. Um, it's interesting, though. You know, I've been listening to this book by a guy named Dr. Carl Hart, um, who spoke at a, an event at which I spoke recently called Meet Delic, like a psychedelic symposium. And he's got this book called uh, Drug Use for Grownups. And it's, a, it's an incredible book. He's a brilliant guy. And um, his hypothesis is that all drugs can be used constructively and that the, we've actually committed an error in kind of this elitist classification of psychedelics being better than other drugs. And he reports his own use of things like heroin and crystal meth yep. and cocaine. I saw that on Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was on Rogan? I'm pretty, I'm like 99% oh, okay. sure he was on Rogan so. when oh, he just came so. out. I'd love to hear him uh, wax uh, on that. And it was a really interesting book. I'm about halfway through it. And I think there's some really valid points in that. You know, it's like you take something like ecstasy, for example, or MDMA, and, you know, it it kind of gets the pass from the psychedelics community and kind of gets lumped in with psychedelics because it does have this therapeutic potential. But um, he points out, which is... It, which is true is it's an amphetamine, you know, so mm-hmm. why is a crystal meth vilified and a and an MDMA glorified in terms of its potential for therapeutic use? Um, so mm-hmm. it's interesting, and I don't know what what the answer is there, but I think in in my experience, and that's the only thing I can really authentically speak from, right. is that every drug I've ever used was very useful at doing something. Uh, it's just sure. that, as you indicated, some of them, for me and for many other people that have I guess, potentially addictive personalities, uh, the benefits are very quickly um, out, outshined by the, uh, by the, um, mm-hmm. the, the detriments, you know, and yeah. the, the side effects. And so, um, yeah, I you know, think something like that no medicine, no chemical is, is evil by nature. I don't think it's just literally a chemical. It just sits there. It's like how you use it. It's us that either use it well or use it unwell or use it badly. Um, you know, I think that, that, that it brings up in my mind this funny scene in Game of Thrones where when people are dying in Game of Thrones, they all want milk of the poppy. And I think if you're going to die and you want to ease your pain, that's a good time to use milk of the poppy. You know what I mean? But like <laughs> yeah, when you're not dying and you're supposed to be working on your business or whatever that you promise yourself you do, that's not really the time to use milk of the poppy. And the problem with that chemical is that it tends to do that. It, it tends to get people to prioritize that instead of the real life work stuff. And MDMA, I wouldn't say does that. In fact, you know, it, it doesn't work even a few days after you use it once. It takes like a reset. Um, otherwise, you're just spinning your wheels more or less. But it's kind of like the, the real danger with these other drugs are that there's no like calm down period. Like you can just keep using it and keep using it and it keeps working with mushrooms, with LSD, with MDMA, like they don't work days and days and days uh, on top of each other. Eventually it just fades away, wears off. Not that I've tried this, but it's what I've heard. And certainly I do know that if I have ever eaten mushrooms two days in a row, like the second day, I didn't feel hardly anything, you know? So that's just one thing is why they're in a different classification of drug is like it does what it does. And then a lot of times doesn't work for a while. Um, 
And uh, like even DMT, like if you try to have a, like a long, like a long ceremony with DMT, uh, it stops working. Like after an hour, you can smoke it and you won't blast off anymore. So there's something about like it breaks down in your body quicker and gets out of your system. And it's like, hey, we're done with that for days or weeks. So come back later and try again, you know, versus like these other more uh, harmful, potentially, you know, chemicals that just work every time. You know, <laughs> Yeah, that's a good distinction. I think with the exception of one occasion, I've never taken a uh, psychedelic and woke up the next day and thought, I want to keep doing that every day. <laughs> right. I just, especially the, the more profound experiences that I've had with more powerful medicines. I mean, I'm thinking, wow, I might be good for the rest of my life after that, you know, mm -hmm. although in ayahuasca ceremonies, um, the, the two times I've, I've done that, um, there was four days in a row. Um, sure. So eight, eight times, but, um, that right. was a different situation. And, and also I didn't wake up the next day after the first night and be like, Ooh, I can't wait to do this tonight. I mean, it's more like apprehension and nervousness around like, yep. Oh shit, I got to go drink this stuff again. Um, exactly. definitely not something where I thought, Hey, can I get some of this for the road to take back home and do it every day? <laughs> like not, exactly. not at all. There was exactly. one occasion, uh, that, cause I was thinking if I was about to say never, there was one, um, weekend where I went out into, uh, the woods in Yosemite and took copious amounts of mushrooms on one day and just had the best time ever. And the next day I was like, I'm going to do that again. And I did. And it was great the second time too. But that was, I think mm -hmm. the only time where I consciously of my own volition went back in, um, and, and journeyed right. back to back like that. And right. I think that was I the only time if I you ever eat had the more, idea. Yeah. If you eat more and more and more, it might start to level out, but like the same dose won't work two days in a row as far as I understand. Um, but if you eat three grams today and five grams tomorrow, you might get similar experiences with both if it were with mushrooms. Um, but if you, if you take the same amount, you'll be like, well, this is noticeably less than yesterday. You know, there's right. kind of a half life thing occurring a little bit, at least in my mind and, and my experiences, um, what they have shown me. But speaking to these more powerful experiences, what, um, I, I've listened to your podcast. I'm a fan. And I know that not too long ago, I think it was this year, you had an experience with Bufo. Is that right? Yeah, I've had uh, six uh, experiences with Bufo. And it has been <laughs> by far uh, the most meaningful and transformative uh, experiences of my life. And, um, just it's ineffable really, you know, the experience is very hard to put into words because it's just so fundamentally, um, extraordinary. Mm -hmm. It's, it's difficult to even couch it in conversation. <laughs> it's like right. words just, it's like trying to explain God, you know, you can mm -hmm. point your finger to the moon, but that's not the moon. That's the finger pointing at the moon, right? Kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. The first time I did it, I had a beautiful experience. It was um, very healing, um, very enlightening and absolutely just supernatural. 
But I think the first time it was, that would have been um, maybe a year ago or something like that. Um, I think it was almost, the magnitude of it was so, uh, so big that I almost couldn't even contextualize what had happened, you know, Mm -hmm. and I just kind of went back to life and thought, wow, that was powerful. That was interesting. But I don't think I really got what was going on because uh, it was just mm-hmm. almost just too much to even conceptualize. It was just like, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then I waited some time. And last December in 2020, I had uh, an invitation to do it again. And I did it again. And I had uh, a really strange experience um, in that it was the first time I'd ever met any resistance mm-hmm. um, in terms of um, the ego kind of coming up and, and fighting the experience. Right. And it was, it was very pronounced. And um, for all intents and purposes, you would classify part of that journey as a bad trip <laughs> because mm-hmm. I wanted it to stop. And I, I never have that experience. I'm always just down for the ride, you know, and I, I'll just right. roll with whatever comes up. And it's always been, um, you know, doable and something that I've been able to stick with and see it through, even mm-hmm. if there's waves of discomfort or painful things that want us to work through. But that one definitely had a pronounced, like, I'm out, stop, I'm done, I don't want to do this kind of thing in the middle of sure. it. And, um, uh, and there was a tremendous value in the teaching of that experience because I really got to establish a very intimate relationship with the ego mm-hmm. uh, and really see how it functions in my psyche and in my being. Because in the initial in the initial phase of that experience, uh, there was no separation in consciousness between mm-hmm. the me, the self, and uh, the totality of consciousness itself, right? There's just a complete merging to where there's no witness or, or observer present to the phenomenon taking place within and around you. After I began to reemerge out of that state of oneness, that's where the fight came in mm-hmm. and there was all this resistance. And I tried to, I literally sat up and was just like, make it stop. I'm out. I'm done. Like, no, I don't want to do this. Right. Uh, and then thankfully there were some, some very skilled facilitators there that kind of, you know, one in particular that just sang to me and looked in my eyes and then, whew, you know, that, that resistance subsided and I was able to surrender into the depth of the experience for the duration of that, um, that time period. Mm-hmm. But it was, really, it was a really powerful opportunity for integration because I was so curious what it was within me that had risen and put forth that resistance. And there was a lot of inquiry. I mean, for days and days of integration after that, and there was a lot of reactivations where I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I would the, the right. 5-MeO would re-engage what they call night school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I'd be doing my meditations and I would go into the medicine uh, for three or four days afterward. And so it was, it, was a lo- it was a very long ceremony in the sense that it went on for quite a few days after yep. the, initial, um, the initial medicine ceremony. And really what I was able to see was that... Um, you know, just the the ultimate, ultimate fear of the ego 
is is its non-existence and mm. that its entire purpose and it, and it really helped me fell in love with the ego you know and accept it as a as a god-given natural part of of who i am it's not all that i am but it's part of me and that without it I would have had a very difficult time and would probably continue to have a very difficult time uh, existing in a body mm-hmm. and that it really does serve a purpose and that uh, it's not something that I need to eliminate or smash or crush or right. get rid of. It's something that I have the opportunity to really integrate into who I am in a, in a healthy way and give it its rightful place and honor its role mm-hmm. uh, because it's a fool's errand to try to get rid of it. (laughs) Like you probably get rid of it when you leave your body, but until then everyone's got a little bit of it left, you know, in other words, it's always there. It's a matter of kind of how operational it is and how much agency one is willing to surrender to it. And so that experience in particular was so life changing because I recontextualized my relationship with that part of myself and really made peace with it and, and actually welcomed the ego into my experience uh, in a way that I had never been able to before because there was such a clearly defined definition between me as the self, capital S, and me, lowercase s, self-ego, intellect, and the, the inter... Uh, the interdependency of us all together as this one entity that they call Luke mm-hmm. became very clear. And all of that kind of pieced toge- together in the following days and through a couple integration calls. And, uh, you know, it was definitely a disintegration of everything that I was, especially with the resistance that was um, met in the middle of that experience. But once I had truly integrated and became whole again with that, I was a completely changed person. Um so much so that I, and I don't proselytize or recommend these experiences to my friends or family, even though I always want to. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want to play God. It's not my business. If somebody doesn't come to me and ask me, I don't really share yeah. with them about it so much. But that one was just so deep. And I just, there was such transformation. And I did mention it to a couple of my friends and, um, and said, hey, these people are around. If you're ever interested in exploring this as an idea, and the four people that I told were like, I'm in, I'm in, when is it? And that led to um, about a month later, actually a little less than that. Actually, I think it was two weeks later now that I think about it. It was on January 16th, 2021. Uh, I went to hold space for those four friends and just be present with them and just to share and the beautiful experience that I hoped would transpire for them. And uh, And I ended up in a random or not random um, chain of events that I did four more uh, ceremony or journeys in that one day, which is Mm. not typically how that medicine is used, to say the least. I mean, I think you could do it once and you're good. (laughs) Like you've seen seen (laughs) divinity and you know it's there. I always say 5-MEO is the cure for atheism. You know, like if you have any doubt that there's something other than you here, uh, that will definitely do it for you. But, um, you know, and that, I mean, I could go on for hours about that experience, but the culmination of all of those left me with uh, a much more lighthearted relationship with my experience, with the experience of of life and being me. And um, just, it zoomed me out a lot 
from mm-hmm. the material world and the day-to-day grind and all of the things that we worry about and all of our fears and planning and control. And right. it, there's just like a lightness of being that has uh, persisted since those experiences. And, I, and I'm sure it's a, you know, um, it's also a, due to the fact that there was a lot of years of work and some level of understanding that was present before that. So that I was able to contextualize some of those deeper experiences, but, mm-hmm. but I think it might've happened uh, if I'd never done anything too, because they were just so earth shattering and just paradigm and reality breaking um, that they've, mm-hmm. they've really stuck with me to the point that I don't know that I would even ever work with that medicine again. When I think about mm-hmm. doing it, it's kind of like, Oh, I don't know. I'm right. good for now. Right. And that could, that could change. But I mean, I feel like if anyone's going to get anything out of that particular um, medicine, I, I got whatever it was. And, you know, as Alan Watts used to say, when you get the message, hang up the phone, you know? And mm-hmm. so I've mm-hmm. put the phone on the receiver for now, but my entire life is shaped by those experiences with, um, with 5-MeO. I mean, there's just, I'm a completely different person. Everything I do, say, feel, think, all of my actions, decisions, everything has been informed by those experiences. It's just completely altered my reality um, in right. such a meaningful way. It's just, yeah. it's like I said, it's its its beyond explanation, really. It's just, yeah. um, I think, you know, having, its it's truly has been for me an enlightening experience, you know, like, uh, an experience for a very brief time of an extremely high level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. The type of um, event that would take place in, you know, Eckhart Tolle's sitting on the bench and he just, boom, oh, yeah. gets hit with enlightenment. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I don't think that I'm now enlightened as a result. I'm still very much human and have human concerns in the world and all that. But um, the the profound nature and the shift of that was was very similar in that way right. to where there was like a before and after there was a a me before right. buffo and there is a very pronounced me after buffo that is uh, markedly different totally. and thankfully different in in the most positive sense um so Absolutely. yeah i i can't imagine having lived this life without without experiencing that medicine i it's mm-hmm. unfathomable that I could have lived for 80, 100 years and not at least once witnessed the right. massive potential of consciousness. <laughs> you know, yep. I feel like Absolutely. it's just the greatest gift of my life, to be honest. Um, yeah, and, I had those exact feelings during my couple of early psychedelic experiences um, that it definitely hit me that, wow, people are born and go to their grave without ever having a single mystical experience, without ever having a single unitive experience. And I'm so lucky that I'm getting one at 20 or whatever. And now for the next 60 years plus, I get to understand life as something way more sacred, way more miraculous, way more just immersive than what so many people literally probably billions of people have lived and died and never had an experience like that isn't that crazy yeah i think about that all the time and also looking at it from 
a karmic destiny point of view mm-hmm. that knowing that I have no way of knowing if those souls have had that experience before, right? Maybe someone has lived in this lifetime, in this body, and haven't had a transcendent experience like that. Mm-hmm. But who knows how many times they have in the past or that they will in the future, and that consciousness itself uh, has a way of giving us these experiences when it's appropriate. And it might not be appropriate for someone's particular journey. I think for me, I mean, there is no doubt in one cell in my being that I was destined to be sitting there when yep. I was sitting there when I first inhaled the 5-MeO DMT. I mean, it's Absolutely. just, that was a pinnacle of my life. And all of the circumstances of my life led up to that moment, just like mm-hmm. they led up to my being born in, in this earthly form, uh, on October 29th, 1970, there was like, mm-hmm. there was sort of a, uh, a punctuation point. Yeah. Boom. On that day, like everything's going to change for your soul and, and your destiny. And I, I really believe I was destined um, to have that moment. And, and also the subsequent moments that I just described, there was, I was ready for something big mm-hmm. and I got something big, even bigger than I can probably even begin to understand sitting here talking to you really. Right. Right. But I'm, I'm well, grateful. I'm grateful for it. And as I said, mm-hmm. I can't imagine if it hadn't happened, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, I think about that sometimes I'm like, what, what the fuck would my life look like if, if mm-hmm. I didn't begin exploring these realms, you know, uh, two and a half, three years ago, it's, it's hard to imagine just, you don't know because it's a hypothesis, but I feel like before I was, even though I had made so much progress in my growth and healing in all ways, and I've become a pretty solid guy, you know, doing good things in the world. And I think mm-hmm. making more of a contribution than an extraction, generally speaking, which is always the goal for me with everything. Um, yep. But I'm just a completely different person um, now than I was three years ago. I mean, people tell me all the time, you know, and the interesting thing about that too, you know, going back to kind of the the roles or definitions of different substances as we that we attribute to them. I remember talking uh, to my dad a couple of weeks ago, and even to um, w- one of my guides in recovery from years ago when he first learned that I was kind of going down this path, which is very untraditional for someone who's been a drug addict and alcoholic, to say the least. And with both of them, I had this realization that I, I just kind of came to me in the moment and I verbalized, and it was this principle of, uh, by their fruits, you shall know them. It's mm-hmm. like, let's look at the results. You know, it's like looking at the context and not the content. So the content would be, here's a guy who's 20 years sober and runs off to Costa Rica and does four ayahuasca ceremonies. Oh, shit, you're not supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. You're a sober guy. Like, that's not in in the rule book here, right? Mm -hmm. Broke the rule book. It was a great success in every way, measurable. Um, And the results, just not only that I can feel subjectively, and you can't really express truly how you experience your reality subjectively. You can put words to it, you can describe it, but it's only you and that lived experience. But looking at the kind of material effects of these experiences is you know, my career is better than ever. Uh, My finances are better than ever. My interpersonal relationships are better than ever. My sense of um, well-being in my body, my physical health has never been better. I've never been more um, 
able to access my potential to give and receive love, you know, in, in, in yeah. my relationship with my wife, uh, specifically, mm-hmm. um, everything I'm doing externally is a reflection of, of that transformation and of the gifts that I've received. And so it's like, even if I didn't tell you anything, you could look at my life three years ago and my life now and go, he's definitely improved. <laughs> Things are going better <laughs> than ever, you know, which is so strange for me because in my past, anytime I used drugs or drank or sought to escape, um, the results were the polar opposite of that. My right, life right. just got worse and worse immeasurably all the time. And then if I was able to curtail some of my behavior, then I might be able to patch things together and improve a little bit. But mm-hmm. by and large, the, the uh, kind of bar graph that my life was on was just steadily headed down, uh, downward, you know, all the time. And things just... Mm-hmm over a period of years got worse and worse and worse and worse. And then, and then I got sober and things continued to get better for 22 years. And then at 22 years, there was like a boof, a big lift and things got (laughs) exponentially better in, in every way. And, uh, it's just, it's really interesting as a person who, you know, had such a checkered past with, with drugs and alcohol. It's, it's surprising and strange and exhilarating and interesting to me to just observe the um, the efficacy of of those substances a- as medicine, um, it's 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 really bizarre actually for me to talk about it to be open about it too. You know, there's kind of like a, still an apprehension because I am still in to some degree clinging to the identity of someone who was like a former addict and an alcoholic, sure. and I'm in, right. in recovery and I'm so reminds me of Russell Brand, you know. Russell Brand, mm-hmm. he's very open about uh, his past with drugs and alcohol and these types of things, and he's since stopped, and he's talking about psychedelics, reporting on psychedelics, but still has a hesitation to take them. Yeah, I understand For the very that. reason that you're saying, yeah. I, I've met a lot of a lot of people uh, like, like he, uh, and, um, you know, I, I guess... I was willing to take one for the team. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sounds like it was could, worth it. This could go horribly wrong, and I could end up back on the street, you know, behind a gas station, smoking crack with homeless people and prostitutes, and just in the ultimate despair and incomprehensible demoralization that I used to experience on an almost daily basis. Uh, but I didn't, you know, here I am. I, I live to tell the tale and I'm, I'm flourishing. I don't know that that would be the case for everyone, but, um, the majority of people I would say, you know, cause almost everyone yeah. I interview on my show, uh, is a creative person, uh, in some sense. And, you know, not everyone, but like 90% of the people are advocates for psychedelics. And that's just the type of conversation I'm interested in having, you know, um, because it changed my life so dramatically. It made me a little bit of the black sheep around my friends because they were just thinking it's drugs. Whereas I'm over here realizing my true purpose in life and changing everything I'm doing, my behavior patterns to, to line up with what I see as my full potential and doing these different things that, you know, um, has really dramatically improved my quality of life as well, my uh, mental well-being. And um, it gave me a sense of purpose and why I do my show and why I do uh, my media company and all the stuff that we do with my brother's company, his apparel company as well. And um, previous to that, I 
had no real vision for what I was to be, what I wanted to be, where I would be. Um, and after these experiences, it was so dramatically healed um, of my depression and any anxiety. And it's not like these things don't rear their head every now and then, but now I have the tools to deal with them and, and the, the, the experiential memory that we are on a path and these things unfold for reasons and meet the experience and um, go into it head first. And, and that, that kind of speaks to the idea that, you know, um, the concept of God will never lay something in front of you that you're not prepared for. So any experience, any hardship, any challenge that is laid before you in the, the path of life um, I believe in this sense of there is no coincidence. There's always some type of divine plan unfolding. And no, I can't really explain how it works. But um, I get that sense all the time by these reoccurring synchronicities all the time. When I follow one synchronicity, more and more and more are unlocking to the point that like th- these are statistically like not possible. So I must be doing something right, you know, because like there's no chance that these things are lining up in the way that they are if it wasn't for some type of thing that I was uh, that was being revealed to me and and follow this breadcrumb trail and more and more and more great experiences follow um, and not just medicine experiences, experiences in life, like connections with people, uh, opportunities that I would have never foreseen um, coming my direction. It's just so many powerful things have unlocked in me and not, and most, most of my guests that I have on my show, um, as well. And they definitely tout the experience the same way you are is like, yo, this changed my life and I'm so much better of a person for it. And I think that's just a message that I like to, to share and get out there because, um, these medicines don't deserve to be looked at uh, in any negative light. Um, and I, I think definitely look at them in a neutral light, but not a negative light. You know what I mean? What yeah. does that bring up for you? Well, they're tools, you know, and tools can be used for different things. Not every tool has the same purpose. You know, you could use a hammer to hammer a nail and you could use it to hit someone in the head. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> right. they, they're tools that that God or creation has uh, provided for us, whether through the plan or animal kingdom, or even through the uh, creative intuition of humans in a lab, you know, it's like plants can synthesize different molecules and human brains and hands can do it too. And Mm -hmm. so uh, everything's here for a reason and a purpose. And, um, you know, I think learning how, as you just indicated to, follow the wisdom of one's heart is really one of the greatest gifts. And you don't have to do psychedelics to do that. There's a lot of other ways to achieve that relationship with oneself and and Mm -hmm. to get to um, become attuned to your nervous system and taking cues from your subconscious and moving through the world using a navigation system other than responding to your fears or responding to your cravings, you know, the Mm -hmm. phenomenon of... um, living by attractions and aversions, right? We're always trying to go toward pleasure or move away from pain or discomfort. And there's another way to live entirely outside of that, which is 
where and uh, when and with whom is my heart guiding me to go? You know, and I think mm-hmm. going back to the Bufo, one of the ways that's really changed for me is that it's like, I don't know, perhaps perhaps it's the mm, kind of the fruits of a, a deeper level and a more broad level of uh, surrender to where oftentimes I feel like I'm not even the one living my life. It's like there's there's something in my heart that's kind of just guiding my intuition to go here and to go there and call them and not call them and do this and don't do that. And it's almost like I'm just being, um, robotic isn't the right word, but it's like there's something that's motivating and empowering me now that there's less of me in the way mm-hmm. that is serving my highest good. And I find myself able to follow that with a greater degree of trust all the time. As someone who spent so much of my life just trying to manage and control every experience that I have and um, just trying to stay safe or free from pain or misery or discomfort or chasing pleasure and excitement and just being motivated in, in those extremes to just kind of rest within and just almost go through the motions of my day to day life is really interesting because the less involved I am in it, <laughs> that's just, that's probably sounds kind of crazy, but <laughs> the less involved I am, the better things go. It's like, I'm, I guess. The concept of the Tao a little well, bit. Well, yeah, but. I guess really it's, it's spending more time in a witness perspective and an observer yeah. perspective where my consciousness is kind of, observing what the personality and the body do and there's um more of an ability or more pronounced ability to kind of observe myself being doing acting feeling so there's 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 a a level of myself now as we have this conversation that's watching the personality and the body do the things it's doing playing the luke show right i don't mean that out Mm -hmm. of any Mm -hmm. inauthentic sense of the luke show but of course yeah, there's there's a witness to the phenomenon of me living my life, and I feel more in touch with that um, on an ongoing basis than I am as the participant or the actor. There's right. a director that's kind of um, observing it from from uh, within mm-hmm. myself and even without myself sometimes, and that's a really yep. interesting and and fascinating way to live because um, present moment awareness and mindfulness is just inherent to that way of experiencing life. Mm -hmm. So I find myself, oh, I get a text. Oh, I got to respond to that. And I see my little personality take on a sense of urgency. Like, oh man, like today it happened a couple of times. Luke, we don't have the right paint at the house. We can need more paint. And there's like this feeling to me. It's like, oh no, we got, we got to get the paint. But really there's also someone watching that's like, oh, okay, now we're doing the paint drama. You know, right. it's like, it's absolutely. I'm involved well, everything in it. You, everything you said there gave me this funny memory of, um, did you ever see when Jim Carrey was on the uh, red carpet and he was kind of like very aloof and they were, and he was like, I'm not even here. He was literally, I don't, I don't think so. It's it's pretty funny. I'll have to send it your way. But it, there's a really funny clip that you would have sworn like Jim Carrey had just got out of a Bufo session like two hours earlier, like by what he said. And it's very much like what you're saying, where he's talking about like this third person dimension looking down um, 
about what's going on in a metaphysical sense. And of course, he's getting interviewed for the red carpet and everyone's like, is he okay? Is he gone crazy? And whatever. I wish I knew exactly what he said, but, um, well, it makes sense. You know, he's, he's a long time meditator. Right. and really what I'm describing is the ultimately the benefits of meditation. And mm-hmm. I've been meditating for 25 years. And um, I think the medicine experiences have just deepened my, uh, my awareness of the purpose of meditation for me, you know, and what I was, what I was going for and what I continue to go for in meditation is that separation between the doer and the observer of the doer, knowing Mm -hmm. that you have to really integrate all of it in order to function in the world and not become a recluse or renunciate and go live in a cave. I don't, I don't think my mission here is to go live in a cave and, and seek a God. I think my mission here mm-hmm. seems to be being a living, breathing, active participant in society, what some call a householder, but to keep doing my work, to keep evolving and growing. Um, so mm-hmm. staying in the world, but perhaps having a looser relationship with it and less attachment to this material, physical plane, but exactly. also not not giving it up either. And not that there's anything wrong with giving it up, but it is um, potentially one trap, I think, for a spiritual seeker is to establish the goal of not being a person anymore. (laughs) It's like Mm -hmm. the becoming nobody thing. It's like, yeah, you can become nobody um, because you stop having such a limited identification with your intellect and your thoughts and feelings and personality and the way you look in your body, you can become disidentified from it, but you can still use it as part of who you are to be right. operational and to, to do good in the world, right? It requires some thinking and discipline and got to take care of the body and have the vitality that is needed to fulfill your mission here and to keep learning the lessons you're meant to learn and keep serving and helping other people. Mm-hmm. So it's not like an either or thing, like you just have to completely go off the rails and live at an ashram and give up all your worldly possessions and and go through all of that because um, that could in and of itself be a trap. You know, I'm I'm now taking on the role or the identity of a spiritual person that wears mala beads and wears robes mm-hmm. and doesn't believe in owning a car and you know whatever. It's not a right uh, or wrong, black or white thing. I think for me, what's interesting is is doing both, right? Is doing my work here on the deepest level I can and and continually merging with consciousness and having that relationship with uh, my higher power and, and building and strengthening that relationship and the level of trust and surrender inherent to that um, that co, co-creation and collaboration between mm-hmm. me and the thing that created me. But also, like, you know, I'm paying my bills and being a husband and mm-hmm. renovating a house and having a podcast and doing the stuff, doing the earthly stuff. It really is a householder role that I feel most called to. Yep. 100%. And, uh, it's fun. I, it's fun because yep. it's it's always challenging, right? Because it's like if I leave the world too much, meaning like totally detached from any of this, then I don't know what contribution I'm able to make. But if I get mm-hmm. too invested in this, then I I believe that 
I'm going to die when I open that letter from the IRS, right? Or when mm-hmm. someone I love passes on or gets ill or, you know, the, right. the, the ghouls that are running this duality on the opposite side are seeking to put us all in, you know, COVID camps and shit. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, mm-hmm. if I get mm-hmm. too invested in that, the world gets scary and insecure and unsure and, and it feels, right. um, it's terrifying, you know? So it's yeah. like, Walking the balance beam between the two seems to be the most interesting place to be 100%. for me right now. I relate to that a lot. Um, and in the concept of both Buddhism, Taoism, and even the Bhagavad Gita, I believe uh, that they all kind of allude to the same thing. And it's the middle way, but also once you attain wisdom or enlightenment, whatever word you want to use for it a more high path than just sitting in that and maybe becoming the ashram dweller or whatever is to teach others. And, and that is maybe the higher path is to return to society with your wisdom, with your enlightenment, with your knowledge and share it. Um, and there was even like a parable in one of Buddha's stories about how the first people he tried to teach after he reached enlightenment dismissed him. And he was like, huh, am I really supposed to do this? Because like the first people that I encountered after the attaining this great wisdom totally were like, nah, I don't want to hear what you have to say, you know? But he did have to continue. And now look, now we all know Buddha, right? So it's like, I do think that um, that is probably the higher path, I think, or, or the, the path that brings more contribution to society to our earth to humanity to the akashic records if you want to go that far as to say let's come back and let's discuss this and let's change people's lives with these conversations with the way we present ourselves to the world and these types of things uh, to increase um good vibes for all more or less you know because we can all live in enlightenment and be in the mountains or be at an ashram or whatever, but is that really making as high of a contribution as sharing that wealth, you know? Well, that's probably true. And also, uh, you know, leads one to explore how one shares that and how one teaches, right? Perhaps one way of teaching is just by being what you've become and the the light that radiates from oneself when you've achieved some degree of self-realization. You know, someone's teaching might look very different from another's. One's teaching might just be truly a householder in their, you know, enlightened being in disguise. I mean, I've met people like this in my life. It's just, you know, you go into a gas station and yeah. pay for your gas, you look that person in the eyes and there's a sparkle there and you see that sparkle and they see your sparkle and you're like, he gets it and he's not out writing spiritual books or having a podcast or holding court in an ashram or anything. It's just, you know, who you are becomes your teaching. And for some people who you are happens to be uh, vocalized or written or Mm -hmm. having some sort of platform, you know, but I think regardless of how you transmit what you've learned um, in a teaching, it's very fulfilling just to share that, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes I, 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 you know, I'm not known enough in the world, thankfully, that uh, when I go places, people are like, hey, you're that guy. I mean, every once in a while that happens, but very rarely. Mm-hmm. So, 
my teaching, if you could call it that, is just acknowledging someone and really being as present as I can with them, uh, even if I have nothing to gain from that interaction. Mm-hmm. You know, really just taking time to acknowledge someone's spirit is is a beautiful teaching, and there's so much that both of us can share without anything being said. It's mm-hmm. it's just a moment of presence and a, a thank you and a looking someone in the eyes and just yep. expressing that you see them even just for a brief right. moment. And um, you can transform as many lives doing that as you can by having a big platform or writing best-selling books about it. You know, it's just... It's that's just been who, a teaching that came to me. You're right. Yeah, that's been a teaching that's come to me through all of this as well. And the teaching is more or less try to make people's day better, not worse. You know, so even when you're at Starbucks and you're getting your coffee, how you order in what energy with the presence, it can actually improve someone's day versus, oh, another grumpy customer, you know, and it actually makes a difference. You know, you might not think just being nice and just smiling and just looking a person in the eyes at the cash register would make a difference, but it does. And sometimes that might change their whole day, maybe their whole week. You don't know, you know? So we, I would bet, I would err on the side of let's do that. than you know, previous me who was very unconscious, you know, like I'm talking like before any psychedelic experiences, living in depression, living in nothing's good enough, even though I have everything I need, you know, that was like the previous version of me. Like it was just grumpy, like at the cash register, at the barista, wherever I was just like, this is my order. Like, I don't, I'm not going to say hello to you. I'm not going to ask how you are. I'm not going to even look at you really. Just, this is my order, you know? (laughs) Um, And now wherever I go, I try to, I I don't know. My thing is I want to be lighthearted and bubbly and maybe make you laugh. Like that's just where I'm coming from authentically. So especially if I get a laugh, like I'm like, I feel good about that interaction. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to throw a joke at you. But I just really feel that way. I just really feel like this kind of like anime guy, like when I'm talking to people or something and uh, in public, you know, and it's not like you might catch me in a bad moment and, and I'm, I'm a little more tired or whatever. And so I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I try, you know what I mean? I try to bring forward what you're saying is that presence, you know? Yeah. Laughter's laughter's uh, good medicine, I think. The more we can laugh, the closer we're getting to enlightenment, really. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. uh, seriousness is is a mental illness in and of itself. You know, I remember one of my teachers many years ago telling me, he said something to the effect, I'll paraphrase, he said, you know, be weary of serious people. Mm-hmm. Serious people are dangerous, Luke. I was like, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah, seriousness is pure ego. I don't know why that just really stuck with me. Yeah, I, I'm glad I'm hearing that right now. And that I've, and I've found too. it, I've, not that there aren't moments that require thoughtfulness. And I mean, I'm not just giggling bubbly all the time, but just generally, I, and this is something I noticed too with, um, you know, different authors, speakers, public people in the public light that are in personal development or self-help or spiritual teachers and stuff. It's something I always look for is like, is there a lightness in there? approach in their energy or are they really wrapped up in seriousness and i'm i'm really turned off by people that are very serious it's just Mm -hmm. and i I think what my teacher was probably getting at is that 
you know, if someone hasn't been able to um, access that lightness and sort of wear the world loosely, um, I think what he meant by their just pure ego is that, you know, the ego is very serious, you know, it's it's very self-involved and um, self-obsessed and, um, and therefore very uptight, you know, very mm-hmm. tense. And, um, and when one is so identified with ego, there's a certain level of unconsciousness there. And perhaps that's what he meant by them being dangerous, right? Is that they know not what they do, right? If there's no level of self-awareness and at least yeah. some disidentification from ego, your uh, behavior and um, ways in which you interact with people is largely unconscious because you're you're kind of being motivated by something that you don't even see. And you think yeah. it's you doing the doing, but Mm-mm. you're living under the control of that ego without having an awareness that it's it's operational and to what degree you want to allow it into your life and what role it's going to play, you know? And so perhaps people that are really imbued with seriousness um, are are kind of a little more um, hypnotized by that part of themselves, you know? And things are very, very grim and serious from the perspective of the ego because the ego is a life or death proposition. It sees everything in black and white and um, in a very linear safe not safe perspective and so it's right. always kind of on edge uh, looking for safety and and ultimately yeah. doing it in service of us because it it as a thought form finds its role in protecting us and keeping us from harm's way uh, maybe presumably because we don't have big teeth and claws and muscles you know i mean <laughs> there's a reason why a lion doesn't need an ego right it's like mm-hmm. come at me <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's go yeah. right well, Human, humans are that's... physically very frail creatures we're very weak creatures mm-hmm, um, totally. compare us to any other primate i mean we're mm-hmm. weak sauce and so mm-hmm. of course we need an ego to connive and um, position and you know mm-hmm. build these sort of mental constructs around who we think we are and we built this false identity as a protective mechanism because we need to. Right. We wouldn't survive. And we self-defense mechanism. Yeah. And especially as social creatures, right? We we don't survive on our own. We need other people. And to need other people means that we each have to sort of know our role and our position. And so the ego finds friend, foe, safe, not safe. It's the way that we sort of feel out our environment to find our place of safety and also to be able to commune with other humans and find our tribe you know it's like the basis Mm -hmm. of all this tribalism is just so much ego identification with wanting safety in numbers and and safety in the confirmation bias that we want other people to believe what we believe and we believe this tribe believes that and if you're outside of that you're wrong and we have to kill you and you know Mm -hmm. all of that so Anyway, I don't know how I got off on all that, but um, <laughs> you know, I I think the seriousness being something we should be mindful of um, if right. we want to grow. It's also very uncomfortable to live in in that way. I mean, for years of my life, I mean, everything was just so dense and so yeah. serious because I didn't have a relationship with anything beyond this material, physical world, and I believed all of this to be so real and so finite mm-hmm. that what are you laughing about? If you turned on the news, you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. if you believe all this is real, it is very serious, but there's a whole world out there um, in terms of, uh, you know, the different 
dimensions to which we can gain access through whatever means is most appropriate that uh, informs us that there's much more to this than than meets right. the eye that that our senses will allow us to perceive and experience right. and so once the senses open up and you start to follow your heart like we were talking about life becomes very different and it also becomes way more fun and and absolutely yeah. less serious yes and with the macro view um understanding that reality tunnels are a thing and that people are operating within these uh ways of viewing the world, these perspectives that they believe are true. But with the macro view, you can see that that's just one of an infinite amount of ways to see things. But everyone's trying to win you over to your uh, to their side to say, no, I'm right. I'm right. My reality tunnel is the right reality tunnel. Like, bro, I'm trying to sell you so hard to believe in the way that I'm saying it is. When when you have the macro view, like the bufo view or whatever, you just see that everyone is like in a reality tunnel. But what the really awesome part is, is when you realize that you can create your own <laughs> and that your own can include everyone's and that you can empathize with the fact that we know what they're going through and that that tunnel exists to them and it's real to them. And I'm not going to try to shit on your tunnel. But I'm, I'm also not going to make you try to believe in mine. But like I will mingle with you in the space of conversation and let's discuss. And and I, I fully don't try to say, no, you're wrong to people because I know that to them it is truth. It is right. It might not be the tunnel that I'm in. Like I'm not in the political tunnel. Like I'm not worried about the president at all. Like that's not me. If they are, cool, I don't really care personally, but I also don't want to make you feel like your reality tunnel is false, you know? So, but what I will like to do is ask questions about certain things, you know, because I certain I certainly don't believe that who the president is directly impacts my life. I know a lot of people do. They think that if so-and-so gets elected, I'm fucked, I'm fucked, it's going to be terrible, you know? But like, I my life's been the same. And how many presidents has there been? You know what I mean? Like nothing changed despite all the outrage and all of the scandal and all of the race and whatever else. Like, but I see that that's a reality tunnel they're in and I empathize for the human condition. And if that's what makes you gun ho, go ahead and whatever. But it's not necessarily the conversations I'm going to bring onto the podcast, but um, it does give me empathy for everyone and where they're at, you know? And I think that's another kind of like benefit of like these psychedelic experiences of seeing reality as this multifaceted prism that what you see depends on the uh, angle that you're looking at it through or what side you're looking at it through, you know? Yep. So. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, I also had a few more questions for you. I know we've, we've gone really deep on the medicine talk, and I love that. Um, but I also have been very intrigued by your show around the topic of EMF, EMF protection, quantum energy. I'm wearing one of these because of you, actually. Hey, nice. Look at hey, that. Hey, we match. We're matching. Let's go. Um, and I was curious to hear how you got interested in this, because personally, I always felt like a weirdo because when I would hold the phone up to my head and talk on the phone, I would literally get a headache after. And it happened so many times that I started to make the connection myself without even hearing about EMF on 
on the internet and blah, blah, blah. Like, I would just be like, dude, every time I use this damn cell phone and put it on my head, I have a headache for like 20 minutes after. So something is wrong with this picture. And then as social media starts ramping up and I'm on my phone more, as I'm holding my phone for 15, 20 minutes, I literally start to get pain in my hand. Like, not like a, like, oh, it's heavy pain. Like, weird, buzzing, warm sensations to the point that I'm like, get this thing away from me. And then I start looking it up and I'm like, oh, this is a phenomenon. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people deal with this EMF situation and there's ways to remedy it. I've heard a number of your shows about the topic. And I was just curious, how did you get introduced to this idea? Is it any way similar to what I'm explaining or is it something else completely? And I will note that this happened after psychedelics for me because I feel like it opened up my body awareness to actually listen to what's going on in my body. Like I might not have been smart enough or keen enough to like realize that the phone was the thing that caused the headache without psychedelics. Um, I might've just said, Oh, I have a headache. I have no idea why, you know, but I just want to open the floor about this topic while I have you for a few more minutes. Yeah. Well, (laughs) the, the universe, the earth, uh, the physical realm is chock full of electromagnetic frequencies, EMFs. The sun is solar radiation. It's it's RF, right? It's um, it's prevalent, and um, the Earth has a magnetic field. It has different um, strengths in different places. Everything is based on frequency. Everything in the universe is essentially frequency, right? So mm-hmm. it's not that EMFs are necessarily bad. There's a a distinction between non-native EMF. So Mm -hmm. the frequency that's coming off your phone is a very different wavelength than the frequency of the sun, the solar radiation, right? And the Mm -hmm. magnetic field um, hitting you in your car from the motor in your car is a different magnetic field that would be present if you were on a part of the earth that had a strong magnetic field. So it's not that these fields um, are harmful inherently, it's that the ones that were created by humans are generally harmful. Mm-hmm. How I first became aware of that was probably in all of my uh, explorations into healing my body and detoxing my body and starting to uh, study different biologists and physicists and scientists and doctors and experts that understand our biology. And I started to kind of understand that through our evolution, we were doing pretty well uh, in terms of our health and vitality, our strength as a species prior to agriculture. Then after agriculture, we really started to shit the bed collectively and our health has declined um, ever since. And that's a whole other conversation. And then the next big move uh, downward was uh, the in uh, the advent of electricity and mm. wiring all of our homes with electricity in the United States at 60 hertz. And uh, so we don't know because they're invisible. But when you are in a house or an office like the one I'm in, uh, there's 60 hertz frequencies, uh, an alternating current, which is also non-native currents don't alternate in nature. They're either on or they're off. Mm -hmm. But 
it just happens to be how we did it. It could be done other ways. We could have power other ways, but <laughs> it's how it was done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with wireless communication, you know, there's another huge decline. There's a book called The Invisible Rainbow that outlines this in terms of a very broad timeline. Um, mm-hmm. Around the time of, uh, I think it was World War One or two. I'm not sure which, um, um, radar was invented. And all these soldiers were getting cancer from working on, um, you know, military bases that had uh, radar present, et cetera. And then into the wireless communications we have today, which is your cell phone and cell towers and Wi-Fi and quote unquote smart technologies. And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a frog being boiled in a pot. We don't see now where we are, how dire the situation actually is because it hasn't been around long enough where we can really draw a line between causation and correlation in terms of a lot of the illnesses that we're finding. Mm -hmm. So I started to look at it from a broad perspective, like how did we get here? The same thing with blue light. You know, I'm a huge advocate for um, uh, the avoidance of non-native blue light with all of these, you know, indoor lighting, LED, fluorescent lights, um, et cetera. I even created an eyewear brand. I'll plug it. It's called Gilded by Luke Story. Uh, it's yes. a blue blocking eyewear brand uh, that I just mm-hmm. launched a couple weeks ago, actually. Yeah, and it looks so, great. I don't want to interrupt thanks, you, man. but I just wanted to say I really love the the mystic design, oh, and I nice. want to pick up a pair. And it's funny because I'm wearing these, and it's not even because you're here. Literally, every video podcast I've done, I've been wearing these, so people know that this is what I wear. I wear blue blockers. So smart, super um, smart. We're, we're we're very similar people. <laughs> so, yeah, so I just started looking at it, you know, how have we evolved, what's natural? Obviously, we can't go back to being natural because we have agriculture, we have electricity, we have wireless, we have artificial lighting. Um, there's no going back, and I don't want to go back. I love technology. I love being able to control the temperature in my room with the flick of a switch and turn the lights on and have a computer. I'm not anti-technology. It's just it's really come with a price. And I think the price is starting to become known now in the fringes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I predict that there will be a time where we'll look back on this point in, in history and give a big dough, uh, just like we did with asbestos and DDT and cigarette smoking and all of the thing, lead paint, you know, all of the things that we've experimented with before mm-hmm. technology, um, you know, is a double-edged sword. And so I started to become aware of it and, taking steps to mitigate it, right? Like putting uh, shielding devices on my phone and turning the Wi-Fi router off at night and, you know, being mindful Mm -hmm. to not live or work near a cell tower, et cetera. Um, And then a few years ago, uh, unknowingly, I moved into an apartment that was about 100 yards from two massive cell towers Mm -hmm. that were hidden behind this kind of faux wall, uh, presumably to not ruin the aesthetics of the office building on which they were placed. And uh, during the course of the three years that I lived in that apartment, I got really sick. And I'm Mm. super healthy guy. I mean, I go to great lengths to take care of myself um, above and beyond probably most people on the planet. Like, I'm super into health. Uh, so I was getting colds and flus. I started to have to wear glasses. I was having excruciating headaches, brain fog that was... I mean, I could barely talk or drive a car uh, some days. Mm -hmm. It was just brutal. And so I was going to all of these alternative doctors and experts and, 
you know, getting ozone IVs and lab work and just like, what is wrong with me? And then one day I uh, was guided really to walk up onto the roof of that office building next to me and I discovered those cell towers and I promptly moved. Mm -hmm. And at that point I was just like, you know what, I have to share this information with people. If I would have lived there longer and not knowing what it was, it's very plausible that I would have developed brain cancer. And I've been told that Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. very well-educated people. Right. Um, not not even EMF freaks, but just people that understand the effects of um, chronic radiation exposure. So essentially, what happened is I had radiation poisoning, and I'm um, mm-hmm. still recovering from it. To be honest, I mean, I'm. Mm-hmm. It was just different then. You know, I was much healthier before that period. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm largely re- recovered. Or I'm getting there, but there were definitely some. Um, there was some damage that took place. So I developed an EMF course to teach people mm-hmm. how to. A test for EMFs in your your environment and how to mitigate it. It's called the EMF Home Safety Masterclass. It's still available online. It's $149. It's about six and a half hours worth of video content. It's extremely, oh, wow. extremely comprehensive because I'm just such a fanatic about this stuff. Right. So to me, um, you know, the blue light and the EMF are just, it's the elephant in the room. And I'm just one of the many voices that's saying like, hey, hello, I'm sounding the alarm. Everyone's caught up on these arguments about whether you should be paleo, vegan, carnivore, <laughs> what supplements to take. I'm like, hello, like it doesn't matter. You're doing more damage, I believe, more damage to yourself um, through the exposure to EMF and blue light than unless you're eating mm-hmm. like, you know, solid GMO, canola oil, fast food. I mean, that might be worse, but if you're a relatively active person eating as much organic as you can, Mm-hmm. I think you're good there. I would right. highly recommend if someone's, especially if you're having compromised health, that you uh, really start to get educated about this the non-native alien blue light and EMF and start taking steps to um, to mitigate right. it. You know, you can't leave the world. And if, even if you went and lived in the middle of nowhere, uh, there's going to be a radar dish near you or something. <laughs> I mean, obviously, in the middle of cities, it's exponentially worse um, in yeah. terms of EMF because... EMF follows something called the inverse square law. So the closer you are to the source of radiation, um, the worse it is. And it's exponential, right? It's just, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like algorithmic in terms of it's 10 times worse if you're a hundred feet away, you know, that kind of thing. I can't do the math on it, but I understand the basic premise of it. If there's a cell tower, you know, three miles down the road versus one outside your house, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a huge difference. Um, so I, you know, I'm an advocate for not living in a city, number one. And if I, if I were to live in a city again, which I did for 32 years, um, I would definitely shield my bedroom, uh, primarily at least the very least, um, from EMFs, which I just did at the house that we're, we're building right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's things you can do, but it requires a bit of education and effort. And in some cases, some money to figure it out. Um, there's a number of different strategies but to me this is like of the highest priority for someone who really wants to stay healthy and and be vital right right right. yeah i remember at my yoga studio i used to practice at um they would always talk about like we don't allow wi-fi in here and uh it always felt extremely peaceful in that room you know of course it was it was a yoga room but uh, and that was adding to it there but it also i think had an effect and it's really interesting and 
I, I recall in one of your episodes, you talked about um, either having a timer or an on off switch for your router or something along those lines. The and best, that- yeah, the best thing to do is to just get rid of your Wi-Fi and run Ethernet cables all over your house and just use that. Mm-hmm. No one wants to do that. <laughs> Very few people. <laughs> I'm doing. I'm doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. But the next best thing is to a have your Wi-Fi router as far away from where you spend the most time, especially your bedroom. Mm-hmm. B, you can get on Amazon for ten or twenty dollars a timer that turns your Wi-Fi off in the hours in which you're sleeping. That's mm-hmm. what we have in our temporary apartment right now. It goes off at, I think, midnight and turns on at 7 a.m., which is a window mm-hmm. in which we wouldn't need the Wi-Fi. Is so that just a timer like people use for Christmas lights? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just an on or off switch. And then you you plug the, the router into the timer, and then you plug the timer into the wall. Um, so that's right. that's a pretty easy fix. There's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do now, but it... You know, as I said, it does. You got to spend some money, and you have to kind of get educated and understand how it works. Um, there's right, a company right. called Defender Shield that that makes a case for your iPhone that blocks the radiation at least from the front of it. So if you're like holding it and you're on speakerphone, you're not getting that radiation through your brain, which is really awesome. Um, right. I highly discourage, strongly discourage people from wearing those Bluetooth ear pods or whatever the totally. fuck. like i see people wearing those and i'm like shut up luke don't say anything they didn't have <laughs> i try not to interfere in people's karma it's none of my business what they put on their head but if someone asks me i'm like finally like my real estate yep. agent here johnny when i met him he was wearing those things and then he started complaining about his migraines and i was like here's my in i was yep. like well i might be able to help he's like yeah what can i do i'm like take those goddamn you dude you're <laughs> it's not only that you're frying that it's not only that your cell reception is going into the earphone on the side of your head, it's that they're communicating with each other using your brain yeah. as a conduit in between them. I mean, like yeah. that is the worst idea I've ever heard yeah. of. It's so, so funny because I've been so adverse to those new Bluetooth things and for many reasons, but I, I'm a, uh, a wired guy. And I'm going to yeah. say that way. And it, wor- <laughs> it works better. I mean, that's the thing. Like I'm on ethernet here. I mean, I'm in a, like a, co-working office space where my studio is and there's i'm sure tons of powerful wi-fi in this building but i don't have it like right on my computer you know it's just like common Mm -hmm. sense when you go to sleep turn your phone on airplane if you have your phone in the room um you can Mm -hmm. hit the breaker on your breaker box for your bedroom and just turn the power off in your whole room at night i mean there's things you can habituate yourself to do and a lot of people will say oh god it's so much work and i'm i'm like is getting up and taking a shower and brushing your teeth and combing your hair a lot of work? No, like you do it a few times and it's just what you do. So every night right. in our temporary apartment, I go, when I go to sleep, I just turn the breakers off in the bedrooms, you know? And it's just, mm-hmm. it's not like a big deal. It's just something I got in the habit of doing. And it's just one of one of the little, uh, you know, checkpoints when I go to sleep. And then I'm right. not getting fried with 60 hertz and my nervous system is actually able to relax and go parasympathetic. I get amazing sleep scores. The, the awesome. less EMF in my environment, um, the better scores I get on my aura ring. I mean, it's quantifiable. It's data. It, there right. could be a placebo there. You know, like, I think I'm going to sleep better with lower EMF, so I do. Um, that could be true. But right. based on, you know, infinite studies and just endless data, it's widely known that EMF is not supportive uh, to human biology. Not to mention yeah. all the animals on the planet, too, that are getting fried all the deer down the street that are living under the cell tower. I mean, they're getting it too. The insects, the bee population, it's just, it's a disaster, Mm -hmm. to be honest. It's just, 
we're right. we're not in a good place with all of that but you know it's just it's part of our our journey and we'll learn and yeah. eventually we'll look back on this going like oh my god how could we have been so stupid we radiated the entire mm-hmm. planet <laughs> you know what i mean right well what i'm hoping and with psychedelics in mind even because as we know some of the wealthiest people on the planet more than likely dabble with psychedelics like i would bet elon has had a few trips let's just say um I would hope that as that wealth, um, you know, shift happens and more of these quote unquote, you know, aware people are coming into power and able to, to use their wealth to generate more uh, healthy versions of technology that I would just hope like maybe the next G, whatever it is, 6G is actually a step in the right direction, not you know, worse and worse and worse, and they're just getting worse. I think that people know about this at this point. And again, like with cryptocurrency, you know, making, you know, uh, people millionaires and billionaires and stuff. Um, I just feel like someone's going to have the money, the research to make a healthier version of Wi-Fi, make a healthier version of cell signal. And we shift, you know, the, the direction we're going in back in, the less less and less of that negative emf um and i don't know that's my hopeful vision for it i mean i'd do it if i had a bajillion dollars you know but like of course i don't but someone does and i would just hope that these humanitarian efforts continue to thrive and um i think it would be psychedelics in my mind that kind of give us the glimpse in that direction because you know these billionaires that would never use psychedelics maybe only want to use that wealth for their family and their security and very selfish with it but these other people that realize hey when i'm gone this money's gone i need to use it um hopefully i have a vision that that hopefully they will use it to make these technologies healthier for us all and not worse and worse and worse and we continue down this track you know i think that's a great a great vision i hope that's the case (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Probably will be. You know, we we steadily learn. We we're slow, but we evolve and we learn. You know, humans are fallible, but not entirely dumb. So I think over time we'll mm-hmm. we'll find our way. You know, but it is what it is. Like we're all going to leave this body, and maybe we come back at some point in a different body, and things will be different. It's it's not like this is the end of the story. You know, it's just uh, mm-hmm. this lifetime to me is just one scene in a never-ending movie. And so we dropped into the scene in which there's a lot of crazy stuff happening on the planet, you know? Right, right. But we'll, you know, we'll, we'll find our way. There are a couple things you can do um, in terms of energetics, you know, speaking to that, wow, could we create frequencies uh, to carry data that are actually supportive of health and not uh, deleterious? Mm-hmm. And we haven't nailed that yet, or at least it's not known, but there are um, some things that I use. There's a service called FLFE, Focused Life Force Energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find that at flfe.net. And, um, that is uh, it's an energy that you can assign remotely to any location or to a device that helps to mitigate the harmful effects of EMF. Uh, there's another one called uh, Blue Shield, B-L-U, not like the insurance company, but B-L-U Shield. Um, mm-hmm. I think their site's Blue Shield US. I have all this stuff on my website too, by the way, lukestory.com store. I'm an affiliate for all of these brands. I love promoting them. They pay me a commission if people hear about it from me, but I would tell people anyway, to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. Blue Shield's great. They make make different scalar wave generators. Like I have this watch on right here. 
I don't even look at it for the time. It creates um, a dual band um, scalar wave frequency, which helps to mitigate the harmful effects of EMF. They've done a lot of studies um, on animals without hurting them, not like in a lab, but on farms. Very right. compelling um, research. And then there's another one called uh, Soma Vedic that I have over there. I can't show it on camera, but they're kind of a little mm-hmm. flying saucer looking disc and they're made with precious and semi-precious stones. So sort of like a crystal on steroids. And those mm-hmm. also help with the EMF. Uh, this thing over here, I can show you. This is the Leela. Uh, this yeah. is the Leela Infinity Block. Amazing so on camera. And this uh, this thing's incredible. Um, also mm-hmm. emanates an energy field in your environment that helps uh, mitigate the effects of EMF. So with all of the energy devices. It's important to also understand that they don't block EMF. Blocking EMF and harmonizing EMF are two different things. If you want to mm-hmm. block EMF, you create a Faraday cage in the room you sleep or the room you live, and then no signals get in, no signals get out. It's a dead space, mm-hmm. like what would be present in nature in our um, in our distant past, right? Right, right, right. These devices and services I'm talking about um, change the energy field in your environment. So rather than there being this chaotic waveforms bouncing all over, the idea there is that they're harmonizing and making these waveforms of um, energetics more sympathetic to your nervous Mm -hmm. system. So the health benefits come from making your biology more resilient rather than blocking the EMF. But for me, I like doing both. <laughs> like, I want to block the EMF, especially in the bedroom while I'm <laughs> sleeping, and then also have all these energy devices on all over the house, too. Yeah, and and like right. you said, you could feel it when you went in that yoga studio. When people mm-hmm. step into my home or office, I mean, not every person, but it's very common that people are like, wow, it feels really good in here. It's got a really good vibe. And I'll just say, yeah, that's how I, it must be me, you know? <laughs> just <laughs> feeling awesome. my vibe. <laughs> But no, Would I'm like, you speak man, I, to uh, the necklace as oh, well? Oh, yeah, the Leela. I forgot you, you mentioned you had that on. Yeah, so yep. the Leela um, capsule necklace that I have on, this is like yours, is filled with little titanium balls. And um, they've been charted. And this sounds so crazy. Like, if you don't understand the fundamental principle of quantum physics, this sounds like total mm-hmm. bullshit, and I acknowledge okay. that. And there are a lot of bullshit like quantum products, like these little stickers you put on your phone and weird stuff um, that I don't think are valid. But any of the ones Mm -hmm. I just mentioned, there are enough studies and scientific evidence to prove that they're having a positive effect on you. But this little um, capsule necklace can be charged with the quantum energy. Actually, you can charge it in the infinity block and Mm -hmm. it creates a positive energy field around your body. And this is totally bizarre sounding to anyone, as I said, who doesn't understand that there's a field of energy uh, beyond the more dense energy that we see, which is like the table in front of me, the computer I'm looking at, this metal microphone stand. Like that's also energy. It's also moving. Uh, it just appears to be solid because of its density. So we're living in a quantum field, but there's there's a wave before the particle. What we see, feel, touch, smell is the particle, but it all emanates from the wave. And there are technologies which are able to harness pre-particle and affect mm-hmm. the wave, which then affects the particle, meaning our physical biology. So it's it's kind of woo-woo and spooky stuff, but um, any company that I find that creates this stuff, the first thing I do is go to their website and look for any sort of 
data to support their claims. And the ones that I just mentioned have data from live blood mm-hmm. cell analysis to HRV to measuring the negative ions in a space with their devices on and on. Um, plants, you know, sprouting and growing faster than the other ones when they're exposed to the field, uh, all kinds of different things like that that is, to me, compelling enough to keep it in my house and to spend my money on it and also to promote other people um, using them. Yep, yep. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for all that information. That is super helpful. I'm glad to get this opportunity to ask you these burning questions I have. Like, I want to ask you when I'm listening to your podcast, and now I get this. So. Well, here we but, are, dude. That's really cool. I really appreciate yeah. your time today, brother. Um, sure. Keep keep doing what you're doing, and let's do uh, one more plug for Gilded Eyewear. Tell us yeah, one more time about thanks, it. thanks, man. I'm really proud of this. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the Blue Blocking Eyewear brand. It's called GildedByLukeStory.com, G-I-L-D-E-D, GildedByLukeStory.com. And what I'm hoping to do with that is not only create eyewear, but also other blue blocking and red light producing um, technologies and things like that. I mean, light is just such a passion of mine. And so uh, I kind of married my past as a celebrity fashion stylist in Hollywood that I did for a long, long time and kind of just combined my love for aesthetics and creativity and art and fashion with the science of blocking blue light. So that's that. And then, um, yeah, and then, as I said, I've got my EMF course which is uh, very robust. I, I'm going to warn anyone that buys that course for 149 bucks and logs in, you're going to be like, whoa, <laughs> it's like a lot of content. <laughs> but I'm just kind of full on. That's how I do everything. That's the EMF Home Safety Masterclass. You can find that at lukestory.com slash EMF Masterclass. Love it. Thanks for being here, man. Much love. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me.